turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you for joining us. We're back. It's early February 2022 already, and we're back talking about COVID still. With us from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, we have Kevin Brennan, their communications officer. Kevin, thank you as always for joining us. Certainly, Nick, and thank you as always for having me back. Well, we're, we're still preaching the same gospel here, and that is the gospel of COVID, which none, none of us can really get away from. Uh, how are things going now? This is February. Things are looking a little better than they have been, I trust. They are. Things are looking, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's a trend yet, but we're encouraged by what we see. Um, I'll take you back to the first week of the year, uh, our, our surveillance week ending uh, January 7th. At that point, we had um, an average of 2,472 cases per 100,000 residents. Uh, so that's a number that I know all of the listeners are familiar with because that's a number, if you remember, Governor DeWine talked about that number quite a bit as an indicator of um, you know where we are in terms of COVID. Um, the thing that's interesting is that uh, first week of January, that represented a decrease from the previous week of about 600 cases. And if we travel all the way to now our week ending January 27th, uh, our incidence rate is 466 cases per 100,000 residents. So um, what's encouraging about that also is if we look back at that first week of the year, Cuyahoga County had the second most cases per capita over the previous two weeks, and uh, we were number two in the whole state. Uh, This past week for the 27th of January, we were the lowest in Cuyahoga County, among all of Ohio's 88 counties. So, again, we're not saying we're out of the woods yet, but we're very encouraged by what we've seen here over the last two to three weeks. Well, we always like to get into a little more depth uh, to these things. And the question is, Cuyahoga County managed to come from number one in 88 counties down to the lowest one. What were the factors contributing to that reduction? It has to be interesting. Well, I think part of it is we think that, you know, with the onset of Omicron, right, we went from the the normal COVID virus to the Delta variant and then to the Omicron variant. Uh, we think that, you know, because of the density here in Cuyahoga County uh, and the transmissibility of the Omicron variant, which was, which was higher than the Delta variant, uh, that the cases just kind of caught like wildfire here in the county. Uh, and we think that now what's happening as we look at statewide activity is that that seems to be migrating throughout the state now. It's sort of taking a north to south path. So here in northeast Ohio, we hopefully have seen the, the worst at this point of Omicron. Uh, but now the rest of the state seems to be somewhat catching up. I've heard someone almost tongue in cheek say something like the virus has no one left to infect, uh, which sounds like code for herd immunity. Uh, how, how close are we to that finally? 
Well, I don't know that we are um, because of two factors. One is the low, the low vaccination rate. We still, uh, in the state of Ohio, are not where we'd like to be. Um, I can tell you in terms of Cuyahoga County, we are looking at uh, about 61% of our eligible population has completed the two-dose series of the vaccine so far, uh, which is encouraging, I guess, on its face. But we've seen that number just incrementally grow over the last couple of months, but not with any rapidity. So we're seeing just very small increments of that going up. I think the other thing that would sort of get in the way of the herd immunity um, thought process would be the fact that we still have all these variants out there. So um, I think the, the one disclaimer I would offer, uh, having spoken about, you know, that the numbers being encouraging is we here at the health department are somewhat holding our breath uh, waiting to see what the next variant may be, uh, because we, you know, we don't know how aggressive it will be, how contagious it may be, how infectious it may be. So, you know, we're, we're sort of just kind of we're glad for what we've got right now, but we are also somewhat in, uh, you know, waiting in lieu of of what comes next. So, I don't think, from a health department's perspective, Nick, that we are we are feeling that herd immunity is anywhere on the near horizon here. Well, when we talk about 61% of the population being vaccinated with two doses, that includes those who have boosters, but uh, all that 61% does not include people who have boosters. So uh, we saw some people with two sh- two shots, but not the booster yet. Is that accurate? That is true. Um, if we go to the to the um, the let me see, let me pull this up here on the computer while we're talking. We'll look at the the demographics here for additional doses, which would mean something beyond either the one dose of Johnson & Johnson or the two doses of either Pfizer or Moderna. Uh, and the percentage, uh, it's not giving me a percentage necessarily, it's giving me case counts. So we're at a little over 3 million people of all ages, about 3.2 million people who have are eligible for the booster who have received it. So again, that's encouraging, but not in near the numbers that we would hope to see yet. When we, um, we, we talk about natural immunity along with vaccination immunity, can we combine those for a total idea of uh, how much protection is out there or how much of the population is protected? Well, um, I know that what I hear from from the physicians and the nurses that we work with is that when someone's coming off a bout of COVID, um, they certainly are at their their peak in terms of natural immunity, uh, but that immunity begins to quickly wane over time. Uh, hence, the recommendation that you know people still get vaccinated or still get boosted even if they've had uh, a case of COVID. So, um, so you know we're we're still seeing. Um, we're still seeing some some difficult outcomes, um, you know, from from people in terms of, you know, reinfection. Um, so I, I think that you know the best advice we can give people is if you've gotten if you've contracted a case of COVID and you haven't been vaccinated before, please make the effort to get the vaccine because your immunity is going to wane considerably over time. And what we hear is that there's nothing stronger than the immunity that's provided by the vaccine. Even your natural immunity doesn't reach the levels of immunity that can be provided by the vaccine. So if you believe you have natural immunity, it's still uh, prudent and and wise to get vaccinated because that will add to the immunity? 
Absolutely, absolutely. That is the recommendation across the board uh, from the medical personnel that that we interact with. Uh, you know, the natural immunity is one thing, but it is not anywhere near protective enough to keep you from reinfection. So, hence the uh, the request that people or the the recommendation that people get vaccinated as well. With Omicron being around and being so easily uh, transferred from person to person, so, so many people had it. Uh, do you think it's been underreported because some people the symptoms are so mild they're just not uh, getting into the system, or uh, how how are we looking at Omicron at this point? Yeah, I, I think Nick, if we look at COVID in general, whether it's Omicron, whether it's Delta, um, I think I think the 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 notion of being underreported is accurate. I think for a number of reasons, as you say, some people are asymptomatic. Some people have very minor symptoms. Um, some people are taking at-home tests, and they're not always reporting the results. Um, so, you know, a combination of all those things leads us to believe in public health that, yeah, the numbers that we see are, are an under-representation. Um, I can't speak to what the percentage would be or how great of a, of a disparity there may be, but we, we feel confident that the numbers are greater than, than the numbers that are recorded here on a daily basis. Now, now, I've heard some people are actually going out and getting fourth shots, either as a fourth booster or a fourth principal, a primary shot. Uh, is, is that recommended or prohibited, or what? Or is that even something that's really happening out there? Is that one of the urban legends going on around here? Um, I, you know, as a general rule, we are not seeing recommendations for a fourth booster yet. Uh, we certainly have seen discussion of it in the media. Uh, I think some of the higher-ups at the vaccine manufacturing companies have spoken about the potential need for a fourth booster, but we have not seen that recommended by either CDC or ODH yet. Um, now, I will say that if there are people who are immunocompromised, um, their medical team that takes care of them may feel that you know they, they warrant an additional dose um, you know, we can't really speak to those individual circumstances, but by and large, we have not seen a recommendation for a fourth booster yet. Well, if there's going to be a fourth shot, it should be done in conjunction with proper medical advice from your own doctor. Would that, would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. So when, when I, as I was saying, when I was talking about people who are immunocompromised or people who have, you know, outlying conditions, you know, they're being very closely monitored, we hope, um, by, by a medical provider uh, to get them through whatever illness that they're also suffering from. So, yeah, I would say, you know, to just randomly decide that you're going to go get a fourth booster is uh, not a wise decision. It certainly should be something that you consult with your physician about. Well, that all sounds, sounds very good. We're going to be taking a short break in a moment, but it sounds like it's fairly good news and a lot of COVID has dropped off the media. And we're just not being inundated with all the COVID information we have in the past. But in any event, we're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, as always. And we're talking about COVID here in Northeast Ohio. We're going to take a short break. After that, we'll be back again with Kevin talking more about COVID here in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. We'll take our break now. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, talking about our favorite subject, COVID. And uh, during the last uh, segment, we were talking about how it seems to be dropping off the media. 
Uh, do you find that to be uh, true from your perspective, Kevin? Um, in pockets, I, I think it's a it's a little unfair for me to maybe say that uh, all the way around. Just because you know, here we get calls about all different kinds of um, all different all different aspects or things that are connected to COVID. So what we have seen uh, quite a bit here in the last week or so. We've had a lot of media interest about the um, change in recommendations from the Ohio Department of Health for um, contact tracing in uh, the school environment, in the K-12 environment. So uh, we've gone from universal contact tracing to now um, demanding tracing for clusters and outbreaks only. So, um, And this is a reflection of a lot of different things. It was a tremendous burden upon schools from a labor standpoint to be able to do all the contact tracing. Um, you know, with, with Omicron, as you um, accurately mentioned, being so infectious and then some people just suffering from mild symptoms, uh, it became a little unwieldy for schools to be able to do all that tracking. So, um, you know, they've now changed the guidelines for school reporting. Uh, which makes things, you know, a, a little different. It generates some media interest. Uh, if you've if you've been watching TV over the last week, I'm sure you've seen a story or two about that. So, so for us, you know, we're seeing it a little a little less prominent in the media, but we are still getting calls about, um, you know, the, the various aspects connected with COVID. Uh, I was recently in a mall. Figured out a, a guy going into a mall, but there was a sign on the door saying, "If you're fully vaccinated, you do not need to wear a mask." And looking at the people in the mall, sparsely populated, uh, still seeing people in the mall, uh, many of them without masks, some with masks, but there seemed to be a general feeling of relaxation and less anxiety than I've seen before. Uh, with, with that happening, does that mean the, uh, the, the pandemic is uh, diminishing a bit or are people just tired of it or are they, are they being uncautious? Well, I think in, in in my view, being a bit of a skeptic here entering, you know, our, our third year of dealing with the pandemic, I would say that, um, it, 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 yeah, it, it is unbelievable. Uh, I think it's a little bit of, you know, relaxing the, the cautionary measures. And I also think that, you know, it's difficult because we trust people. We, we, we you know, ask them to act upon an honor system here in Ohio, by and large. And, you know, when we saw that before, if you remember a year or so ago when the numbers went down and the governor said, okay, you know, we can all kind of come out of the lockdown and we can start interacting and we start getting together again and we're trusting you all and, and the numbers went crazy because we had people who, I think to your point, were tired of the pandemic but possibly had not taken the appropriate measures, meaning they were not being vaccinated or they were not properly social distancing or, or what have you, uh, and we saw the illness spread. So for us in public health, Again, when, when I, I say I'm skeptical and I say that, you know, we're not seeing herd immunity and, and we're kind of looking around the corner for the next variant, I think that's just based on our experience, you know, over a couple of years of what we've seen. And, um, you know, I think we need a little bit more evidence of it. But having said that, I don't want to be a killjoy because the numbers that we've seen over the last three weeks have been encouraging. So I think what we're looking for is just more sustained decrease in activity. Uh, and more uptake in vaccination rates. If we can see those two things on a consistent basis, then we will feel much better about where we are. For average people who are, are trying to live a normal life and, and go out shopping, uh, go to grocery stores and, and do other events, uh, I remember you and I talked back in March of 2020 when we were both wow. much younger. 
that's when we talked about it, that we were all concerned about the ubiquitous nature of the COVID-19 and the fact that it would it could be aerosol, they, and we didn't know whether it was or not. So uh, if you want to be sure, wear a mask. And then there are questions about the kind of mask. And then there are questions of surface uh, transmission of COVID-19. And that is we have to wipe everything down and uh, companies like Purell went off the charts with selling all the hand sanitizers that needed to be sold. Well, we're we're now in 2022, and we now have Omicron, and we even have you're talking about other variants. There's one called I believe it's called a stealth Omicron, uh, which may provide us with another wave, hopefully maybe yes. being weaker than the last. But do the same rules apply? We we should still hold on to our sanitizers. Watch being around crowds of people uh, without masks or being fully vaccinated. Does that mean anything anymore? What, what are your takes? Well, I think take on that? I, I think the fully vaccinated piece, Nick, would be valid if we if we weren't so far down the road and we didn't have the emergence of these variants that we're seeing. If we were in the 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 earlier stages and we had more vaccine uptake and we were in a steady course to get people vaccinated, which we had hoped for, you know, back in December of, what was it, December 2020, or, uh, yeah, when we first received vaccine. We were the better part of a year in, and we finally got some vaccine, and we thought, well, then this will be great. 2021 will be the year that we can vanquish this and move on. Um, unfortunately, we haven't seen that. So I think in terms of public health guidance, we would still encourage people to um, clean and sanitize surfaces, um, you know, uh, we use hand sanitizer, social distance, wear masks. I don't think that the the cleaning and the wiping down uh, is as essential as maybe we thought it was in the beginning. Um, we've seen indications that it's more transmissible, you know, person to person is not so much surface to, to surface. So, um, so maybe that would be a little relaxed. But in terms of just general public health guidance, though, when we talk about flu, we talk about cold, uh, any of the other various illnesses we see this time of year. You know, cleaning surfaces and, and, and doing those things we mentioned are certainly sound practices. So we would not discourage anybody from continuing those practices, and we would rather encourage them to keep it up uh, until, you know, things continue to uh, improve. The, uh, do you think the way we've been watching this uh, evolve with the different variants and the uh, efficacy of the vaccines coming on very strong and then sort of fading into the background a little bit because of the variants. Do you think, uh, or does the Board of Health think, or the powers to be within the medical community think that we're ever going to get, from a social standpoint, a green light to go back and return to our normal behavior and treat uh, COVID as being something that is just out there like the flu is annually or the cold? Will we get to that point, uh, or what's the current thought? Well, I think that is certainly the current hope. Um, you know, I think you and I have talked about this briefly uh, along our, our journey here, is that one of the vaccine manufacturers is looking at um, possibly a dual uh, immunization, meaning that you would get vaccinated for COVID and flu at the same time, and those would hopefully then be annual vaccinations or immunizations that you would get. Uh, and then, like you say, we would effectively as a society be living with COVID, uh, but we could be controlling it through vaccination. So I think mm -hmm. that's the predominant thought process right now. I don't know if that will become reality, but 
you know, given the way that it's going and, and the, just the very slow uptake in vaccination rates across the country, it seems like a, a good portion of people are satisfied that we are going to live with COVID and it's going to be part of our lives. So, again, we see this filling a role much like the flu vaccine does right now. Do, do we know, since we've been really focusing on to vaccinate or not to vaccinate, um, how how many people get the flu shot? Do we have a large percentage of people taking the flu shot, or is that suppressed also like it seems to be with COVID? Well, you know, this year I don't have a good indication of that yet, Nick. I haven't seen data that tells us um, how many people have gotten the flu shot. Um, last year I can tell you, and I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but last year I can tell you that it was the the highest volume of uh people that they've seen take the flu shot uh, was last year. So people really, really heard, um, you know, the message last year about you don't want to get this, what remember it was called periodically a twindemic, right? We're talking, we're looking at mm-hmm. uh, a terrible outbreak of flu along with COVID. Thankfully, because people um, participated in all the non-pharmaceutical interventions and people got vaccinated, we did not see that and we are not seeing it yet this year. So, you know, we're very, uh, very, encouraged by the fact that, you know, we're not seeing a, a widespread flu outbreak. But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know really how many people are going to get the flu vaccination this year. But the one thing I would tell people is if you haven't gotten it and you're willing to get it, then you should certainly step up and take it because flu season runs through the end of April. So you still run the risk of February, March, and April of being exposed to flu. So if you're thinking about it and you haven't pulled the trigger yet, um, you might want to do that because there's still time and there's certainly plenty of vaccine available. Oh, very good. And on that note, we're going to thank Kevin Brennan uh, for joining us as always. Uh, Hopefully someday we'll get to the point where we don't have to have a monthly chat with the County Board of Health on COVID. We'll see if that happens. That's right. We'd love to be talking about other public health-related matters. Let's get back to that. Well, Kevin, thank you so very much. We'll talk to you next month. Very good. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Kevin. That was Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate on WHK. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Cleveland, Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking to Cuyahoga County Council Person Nan Baker, who joins us uh, pretty much on a monthly basis to tell us what's going on with Cuyahoga County. Nan, thank you so much for joining us, as always. Absolutely. I always love coming and giving you updates of what we're doing on Cuyahoga County Council. Well, it's so important because, uh, again, our, our budget's over a billion dollars for the county. Is that right? That's right. All, all funds. We have uh, roughly about $515 million for the 22 um, year and about $510 million in 2023. So it's a considerable amount of uh, money that we oversee and make sure that we do our best to spend it correctly. Well, putting it uh, from a taxpayer's point of view, that a billion dollars of local taxpayers' money here. So I appreciate uh, hearing what's going on and how that money is being spent. Uh, but right. the first gorilla in the room we always have is talking about COVID. Since uh, 2020, from February 2020 till now, we've been talking about this. 
Uh, How's it looking from the county standpoint? Well, you know, I will say that, uh, and I just heard this morning again on uh, some local news that Cuyahoga County, of all counties, is doing the best in cases dropping. We were probably the first to have the highest case load, and now we can really appreciate uh, it dropping considerably. So we are um, doing well here in the county. It's still not where it should be, but it is descending so quickly that I think we are really going to um, get to the goals that we need to reach. I believe Governor um, DeWine, 50 cases per 100,000. We are not there yet, but if it keeps dropping as it is, um, I think that uh, much, much better days are ahead. Uh, we do have about 60% of our Cuyahoga County uh, fully vaccinated and um, still going. We're still encouraging people to consider to get that vaccination. As things are going down, uh, do attitudes and just the, the general sense of well-being, is that improving? Do you detect that in county government and with the people here in Cuyahoga County? Yeah, I think what I'm seeing, uh, both in Cuyahoga County Council from, you know, our administration and from just my own observations, people have been living in fear so long that it's hard to give it up. It's hard to say that we are actually on a better, better road. And we were back in, if you remember in July, we're told it's over. You have your vaccination, you're free. And then it came right back again. So, um, I think that there is a sense of reluctancy to have that hopeful attitude that we are, in fact, coming out of this. And I think that, you know, as leaders in this community, when we find that we are there, we should really celebrate and make sure people know. And our, in, and our health industries should also um, reinforce that this Omicron virus is a much less impactful virus and if you're vaccinated, is sometimes you don't even know you have it if you do. Uh, those that are unvaccinated, it's still a less severe, but they could still perhaps be a little uh, more sick than if they weren't vaccinated. But overall, I think that we are seeing um, better days. And when we reach that 50 per 100,000, which I believe we will, and not too far in the future, uh, we should celebrate that and get on with our lives. With li- life is short as it is without um, taking two or three years out of it in fear. So, yes, I think that um, I think we need to have work in front of us to reinforce that uh, this virus is, is, I believe, coming to an end, probably an endemic like the flu. We may be encouraged to get boosters like we do with the flu. And um, we'll have to see what the future holds there. But I don't think that the mass fear of death and sickness, I, I just don't think that we're going to see that. I think we're, we're moving in the right direction. Well, that, that is so true. The mass fear caused by the pandemic and all that was in the media. And uh, it seems that COVID-19 is being de-emphasized in the news. Now we're not, we're not getting the first half of all newscasts talking right. about COVID-19. And out of sight, out of mind in, in a little bit. Uh, right. That's happening. Uh, how, you know, what, 
with the COVID, during our, our two years of COVID, uh, what we were seeing is that it affected the job market and the economy in that businesses were shut down and people were not going to work. Uh, and we hear about the fact that a lot of people have retired or just didn't want to go back to work. Uh, how is that affecting the county? Do you see any signs of that here in Cuyahoga County? Well, we certainly uh, have our share of businesses that have closed and will not come back. And those that are continuing to stay open, especially our restaurants and hotels and any kind of uh, recreational type of business, even hair salons and fitness centers, they are still struggling. I mean, they are doing their best to keep the doors open, but uh, lack of uh, qualified help is, is certainly an issue. And, um, you know, they deal with that every day. So I, you know, I think that as we celebrate that this is coming to an end and they have their, pay, their um, patrons uh, understand that, things can only get better. But, yes, it's been a struggle. Um, and, you know, and I, I, I would be remiss to say that the amount of money that we have received in order to mitigate some of these um, issues has been unbelievable. I mean, if I can run through the CARES Act funding, we got $217 million. That is a considerable amount of money back in 2020 and was used for businesses, for housing, for food, for any of the necessities um, at that time that were needed. Not all of it was needed, though. We have about $60 million left over from that CARES Act funding. Uh, the opiate settlement money, we have a $117.5 million that was also put into our coffers to deal directly with the opiate issues that are out there. And then recently, as everyone's been reading, the American Rescue Act, um, the ARPA dollars, $240 million to be spent in 2022, and I believe it needs to be spent by 2024, but $240 million Dollars that really aren't part of the CARES Act or the problems that we're having with its, its, its extra money. Uh, I know the executive was out in town hall meetings asking constituents, what do you want to spend it on? It's one-time money. Uh, it is, these are times that uh, is, is unbelievable, the amount of money that's flowing through, at least in our county, through our state, through the federal government. Even Cleveland, the city of Cleveland, received $500 million just for the American Rescue Act to use as how they think they should with very few restrictions. So that is yet to be discussed. Um, Cleveland has come out with some of the parameters of what they're going to spend their money on. We as a county are just now getting into it. Um, but it's stay tuned because we had, it's unprecedented <clears throat> amount of money that is flow well, well, over these governments. Well, it is. You, you just mentioned that uh, here in the Cleveland area, the city of Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, we, we have an influx of about $1 billion, essentially no strings attached. Do, do we have right. the intellectual and the political power to be able to digest this and actually come up with meaningful uh, ways of spending this, so we'll actually see something change here in in our life here in Northeast Ohio. Well, that that is the you know what is it a, a billion dollar question? 
It is. Uh, it is a trillion dollar question. What a, what a it is. to have, but Literally. use it wisely. <laughs> yes, and that's our job. I mean, county council is in charge of overseeing the budget, and all money that flows through needs our approval. So, you know, I know I'm doing my best to uh, do all I can to understand all the proposals that are uh, being asked upon us. And there's a lot of big projects right now. We have the jail that is still pending. We have the diversion center that is uh, out there for, for perhaps a new building. And then we're also talking recently about the Global Health Center, which was the Medical Mart. And some of the uh, dollars perhaps could be spent, $46 million could be spent to converting that to something else again. Uh, all yet to be you know, analyzed by county council who has not yet had the opportunity to uh, be ha- to have that presentation. So sure. yes. a lot of a lot of work there for the county council. We're going to take yes. a short break. We're talking to Cuyahoga County Council Person Nan Baker, updating us on what's going on in Cuyahoga County as it's February 2022. We'll take a short break. We'll be back with Nan Baker again and talking about some of these uh, projects you just mentioned. So don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Nick Phillips Review with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Uh, we're talking to Nan Baker, Cuyahoga County Council person here in uh, Cuyahoga County. We're talking about uh, what's happening with the county and all the money that it has to spend. We have over a $1 billion budget, but we have about $1 billion of uh, extra money in, in the county and the city of Cleveland. So, Nan, thank uh, you for coming up and letting us know about these things. Yes, uh, it's it's important that that people do understand that that is what we are working with and that if there are any questions or, or any, any concerns that people have, I mean, there's, there's been people that have chimed in and said, you know, we have a housing issue. We have uh, needs out there that are, you know, unbelievable in, in some cases. And we do need to pay attention to that. And, and we do a lot in the county to help people. And this, these dollars can certainly um, go a long way in uh, making sure that uh, those that are in need with mental health or opiate crisis or, or any of those issues that are real get the help that they need. And that's always been the emphasis of Cuyahoga County and County Council in, in how we spend our dollars. Um, outside of that, the streets and roads and bridges and, and uh, capital plans of um, economic development Lots going on in the county that um, do need to be talked about, and our taxpayer dollars, no matter how they come, whether it's federal, state, or city, or county, they're all taxpayer dollars. Uh, we have nothing without the taxpayer contributing, and they should have a front seat in understanding how it's being spent. Well, the uh, unique situation county councils in is that uh, the question of the, the fighting and the attention to coming up with a balanced budget does not seem to be an issue. Uh, the issue seems to be to how wisely spend the money that you have. And you mentioned during the last 
segments, something about the Medical Mart and the Global Health Center, and $46 million. I, I sort of key in on these dollar amounts, $46 million. Right. What's, what's that all about? Well, um, and we have not been given an official presentation. This is just what I'm, I'm hearing and what I'm reading, uh, and I'm asking at our next council meeting that it's time the county council got a presentation from the executive. But what I'm, what I'm hearing is that $46 million is what the steering committee, um, the recreational steering committee that makes decisions about uh, our uh, hospitality, they are recommending that the Medical Mart Global Health Center be turned into uh, offices and meeting spaces that they feel will enhance the convention center that now exists. Um, I've got some concerns about that. I'm, I don't want to repeat what we've already done twice, just with a different spin. Um, it's a lot of money, $46 million, and we really need to make sure that there's a return on investment when those dollars are proposed to be spent. And uh, lots of things we could spend that money on outside of this. Um, so it's that's coming, and I hope the listeners that are listening um, chime into that. And if they certainly have any questions on it, they can reach out to me. But I am going to ask that we get a presentation. The momentum is building, and once something, you know, once the train leaves the station, it's hard to to turn it back. So we need to see it before it gets any farther in in uh, in proposals. Well, well, I agree. I remember not too long ago when the medical mart was being considered and all the money, the millions to uh, really create a medical mart at that location there on the Ontario and St. Clair, that uh, the money was going to be well worth it for all of this long laundry list of reasons that uh, right. Cleveland was going to be sort of the epicenter of medical technology development and sales and so forth. What what happened right. to that? Uh, the medical march seemed uh, to evaporate. Uh, is, is that true? And uh, I, and I agree with you. In the new concept, you definitely need a uh, presentation to determine whether or not this is going to be the same pie in the sky that we had for the medical march that failed. Right. It just was not a concept that um, would flourish. It, it, the medical industry was not going to put expensive equipment in Cleveland for the medical industry to come and look at and consider purchasing and bring conventions so that the medical establishment, the doctors that are out there would come. And it was just a concept that didn't work is the reality of it. And quickly it pivoted to the Global Health Center, which again um, did not did not have the momentum that they thought it would, and instead it turned into um, offices, which we for the most part gave the space away just to create the jobs that uh, that were there. But right now the Global Health Center is empty. Uh, it's, there's one floor that's being used uh, for a courtroom because of the COVID and the spacing that's needed. We are having a temporary courtroom that's right now taking place. Uh, but outside of that, it's empty and something needs to be done. What that is, I'm just not convinced that strike three 
of doing something similar to what was already done, um, I have to be convinced of it. And right now I'm, I'm highly skeptical. So that's, that's where we're at. That's the history. It's not an old building. It's only about eight years old, eight to 10 years old. So it's not something that is antiquated and, you know, needs updating because it's, it's, well, it looks like the, the structure is sound and the structure is new. It's just the uh, the dedicated purpose for it uh, needs to be thought out. So I guess this is the time for the county council to uh, actually get involved and, and make sure these things are thought out and uh, proven before you go. And, and there are no guarantees. We know that as and, taxpayers. Right, and you know, Nick, but, in my experience, sometimes you, you get the same people making the same decisions and you get in a you know, kind of a, uh, a group think, you know, you, you can't think outside the box that we have the convention center, what goes with the convention center, and we have to do, again, what we tried to do maybe in a different way. And sometimes you just need to get some different ideas and different voices to, um, you know, offer alternatives to what it can be used for. And if, there's, if they don't work, they don't work. But I think sometimes we get in that... Uh, that place where we just can't see beyond what's in front of us. And I, I think that having it in front of county council and even having constituent input is, is good. I mean, $46 million, it's worth taking the time <laughs> to make sure, and all the operating expenses that go with it, um, that we do, uh, in fact, know that this is a good, solid plan. And uh, we're all in it and understand it and are willing to move forward. Well, now, now it's the time for the county council to put its collective wisdom together and ask all the tough questions now. Look at the highlights, the best uh, situation, and also the worst situation, and then uh, see where we go with that $46 million. But you know, with the $500 million that the county has now to, um, to use as it wishes, the, the term we used earlier, wisdom, is what yes. we're going to be hoping yes. for. But in the, in the last couple of minutes that we have, can you update us on the jail and the Justice Center projects we talked about last year? Yes. Well, we uh, are still in the discussion stages. We have had a chance to see what the possible layout would look like, what the concept is of a new jail. So that we have seen. Uh, it was proposed to be a two-story preferably one story, but it could be two stories with the administration. Have about, have about a minute. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so we are going to have another meeting this week on Tuesday, an executive session, to hear where possible locations can be. We've heard it once, they've narrowed it down, and now we're anticipating to hear more about it. So it's still continuing. And that's a multi-million dollar project as well. Yes. About 500, 600 million could go up higher depending on how big we need to make it for the inmate population. Well, I'm, I'm left to feel all the weight of responsibility the county council has, <laughs> <laughs> all this money, and uh, to be judged over the years as to whether you guys have been making the right decisions or not. But right. uh, appreciate, appreciate your efforts. But uh, Nan Baker, thank you so much. We'll have you on next month to give us another update and see where all our money is going. Thank you. I appreciate it and look forward to coming back and hopefully we'll have more detail to offer. 
Thank you so much. Nan Baker, Cuyahoga County Council. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening tonight. That concludes our show. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset. Sat and drank my fresh mint tea with nothing to do.